Before we get into the episode, we just wanted to thank the amazing Jennifer and Toby who support us on Patreon at the highest level of Rainbow Parent. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis and welcome to one of our special guest episodes. Today we are joined by a special guest who will be answering the question, what movies made me queer? I am very excited to welcome the one, the only, Becky Albertalli to the studio. Clap, clap, clap. Woo, woo. Exciting, exciting. Hello, Becky. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. So I feel like the people will probably know you as the author of um, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda that was subsequently made into the movie Love, Simon, um, as well as other other various other books, including one that literally came out. When when did it come out? Very recently, right? Yeah, about two months ago. Um, Imogen, obviously. So um, yeah, it is um, a YA contemporary. I would say like I think it's very much in conversation with Simon um, but it is like a standalone its own story that's book number nine for me which feels uh, very surreal so many so I I kind of use the title of this video the the catch-all queer do you use any other words to describe your identities would it be the movies that made me buy the movies that made me queer like what would you how would you you phrase it for yourself when referring to myself, I would say bi or queer. Um, when I think about that within the context of movies, like given when I grew up uh, and where I grew up, I don't know that there was that kind of specificity in terms of, like there wasn't like a direct one-to-one connection between the media that you know I was drawn to and um, kind of ultimately where I landed in terms of labels. Uh, it was a long and uh, meandering road and I definitely was engaging with all of this stuff as a very very devoted ally um so so I think it's um when I look back and I just kind of add up all these different things that I was very intensely interested in it seems very obvious um obvious in hindsight is often uh, I feel like uh uh, something a lot of people seem to go through yeah yeah amazing uh so though I mean the way for those who haven't listened before the way this episode works is essentially people typically come with a bunch of different examples um we have a chat with them we talk about their place in uh, queer cinema or sometimes not a lot of these examples that we get given are not queer cinema in the way we traditionally think about it but have been sort of queer awakenings or or spark something within our guests and we just have a nice little chit chat it's just like you're you're at a table with some friends talking about movies that were influential to them except you uh, simply cannot participate in the conversation um so Becky let's start with your first example and that can be in any order it can be youngest to oldest ages that you engage with them or least to most influential or just a just a grab bag mix very easy breezy here okay I think I want to start with the uh what I consider to be the heaviest hitter Mm. uh, for me (laughs) stop stop and and there is absolutely nothing about this that awakened me it was like planting seeds planting seeds that would lie dormant for a minute when I was a teenager, um, kind of early high school and onward, I uh, was really into anime, especially um, there were two particular favorites 
that I have. Um, and both of them, looking back, are um, extremely queer, like very, very queer. Um, one is Sailor Moon. I feel like not a particularly unusual anime for like white kid who grew up when I did. Um, but I watched it um, religiously, like when it was on TV, like actually sitting down in front of the TV at the proper time to catch the episodes. But I also, you know, I was finding like ones that fans had put subtitles on and stuff like these are VHS and um, the number of pictures I found on the early internet that I would then print out and put on my walls or like mail in real envelopes to my best friend. We would like caption them by writing in pen on the back and mail them to each other and then put those on our walls like when we receive them. But I've recently gone back and watched a little bit of Sailor Moon as an adult um, because I have achieved my number one parenting goal of getting like one of my kids into it. And in retrospect, Usagi, who is that's the civilian name of Sailor Moon, like the main character, is the most bisexual character I've ever encountered. Like she truly falls in love with most people she meets. And it's very obvious, like heart eyes, like you cannot miss it, except for I did miss it. Like <laughs> I like missed it for a very long time. So for those, so for people who are who are listening who don't, who might be familiar with the name Sailor Moon, because I feel like it, you can't not have heard of the of the show. What is the sort of elevator pitch that it's about? What are people expecting when they were to, if they were to watch it? Yeah. Okay. So Sailor Moon is about um, this group of I, I would say they're like maybe like fourteen or something like that. But it's like these like kind of young teen schoolgirls who, you know, gradually throughout like the early episodes realize that A, they have powers and they get to like transform into these like sailor uniform fighters. And then there's all this lore that eventually gets uncovered where they are like connected to this ancient kingdom. And I I guess I don't want to like spoil it because you really should watch it. It's very, very good. But um, it's from the 90s, I would say it probably came out in the 90s and so um yeah and there's manga associated with it my point of entry was the anime the english dub first which i prefer the subtitles and i'm gonna be very snobby about that but um yeah and i was writing fan fiction and like was just absolutely obsessed with the minutiae of this and um you know, eventually, as I got deeper into the series, as you're meeting kind of more and more of these other people who are part of the kingdom and other warriors and, uh, you know, just people in the modern world who turn out to have powers and kind of join their team. Um, and they all have their planets and celestial bodies associated with them. But um, you end up meeting this, like, lesbian couple who in the... Uh, American or the English translation are cousins, I think. Cousins who are extremely close and fond of each other. <laughs> when you were watching, did you, were you watching the the American version, I'm assuming, where you were led to believe that they were very close cousins? Like, do you remember when you found out that that wasn't quite true? You know, I think by the time that I met them in the series, I was already being a little 
snobby brat about it and was like, I'm watching the subtitle version. It was some kind of... Being snobby paid off. It did. Yeah, because I think I found out later that um, they were were not portrayed um, kind of with the uh, full scope of their romantic relationship. But yeah, you have you had these two. Um, so this is Sailor uh, Sailor Uranus. Um, I know it's supposed to be Uranus now, but um, I yeah, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune, um, whose civilian names were Haruka and um, Michiru. So Haruka, who is Sailor Uranus in particular, is this kind of like tomboyish kind of butch, wears a suit, and also too like I haven't read a lot of discourse or just I, I haven't read a lot of about this but I was actually really surprised when I went back and watched Sailor Moon as an adult you know she from what I can tell uses she her pronouns but openly identifies as something kind of in the range of non-binary or gender fluid and like talks about that which I thought was really interesting and cool definitely not something that I Notice or flagged when I first watched it. I might have been too busy having a crush on her. <laughs> like <laughs> very fair, yeah. Oh, all the and like all the girls had crushes. On, like Sailor Moon, absolutely was like losing it, like falling all over herself. Um, but also like uh, Sailor Jupiter, like just all of these girls who I thought of as straight girls, who I guess were considered to be straight girls officially were like absolutely not straight in that context but um you know then again I was right there with them um being an extremely straight girl who was having these feelings I mean so when in terms of your kind of coming into your identity and figuring out for yourself. Um, where did this fall on the timeline? Where was this, where was Sailor Moon for you in terms of kind of being part of that, those seeds that were being planted for you? Oh, it was like a solid 20 plus years earlier. <laughs> those seeds were like really harvesting themselves underground. You were like a little squirrel who buried those nuts somewhere and you were just waiting for the for the acorn to grow into the oak tree many years later. Uh a hundred percent. But like what's wild though is yeah, with that show and particularly that character, it's similar to how it was with real person crushes that I had back then where I did not realize they were crushes. I framed them completely differently in my head. And then as soon as everything clicked, I immediately understood how those feelings were different from, you know, the feelings that I had for you know, girls who were friends, like platonic friends and um, girl characters who I admired, but like didn't have the same kind of pull towards. It's funny to know something like that, just, you know, from a distance of over two decades, but it was very clear. And then like, which makes it very funny to look back and see, um, of course, there are the... Um, the pictures like taped to my wall and I can kind of notice the placement of them you know like definitely prime wall real estate for Sailor Uranus um, but also like just the fact that Sailor Neptune so that's like her girlfriend was absolutely a self-insert kind of girl for me um 
I spent my entire life, like my aesthetic, like the clothes that I'm drawn to and the style that I'm drawn to is like very similar to hers. It is like absolutely core bisexual memory that was planted kind of during those early years. <laughs> planted real deep. <laughs> I love that. I'm actually honestly surprised that we haven't had Sailor Moon as an example from more people who have guested on the podcast because I think this might actually be the first the first example we've had because it seems so it does seem so obvious it, it like ticks all of the all of those boxes um and has this like <laughs> super fun little history of censorship that goes alongside it um but yeah no that feels like a very a very solid seeding grounding for the the old queer identity to be popping up there did you have any more um examples of stuff that you were watching around that time that you've since been like oh my goodness, what was that? Or uh, is it more that stuff has become more influential to you as you've kind of gotten older? I mean, I think all along, there were many, many shows that, um, you know, are, I I think they're influential to me now in a different way as I come Mm -hmm. to like understand those interests better. But um, like the other big one for me back then was Ranma One Half, which is like a slightly less well-known anime, I would say, um, manga and anime, without like going too deep into an explanation of it. I don't think I will need to, to like communicate the queerness of the show. But the basic premise is there's this guy, Ranma, who is like visiting these ancient hot springs and falls into one and these springs turned out to be cursed. And so he comes out of the situation and he has a curse where if you splash him with cold water, he turns into a girl. And if you pour hot water back on him, he'll turn back into a boy. And um, he, so like, and I've, I have seen a lot of trans people talking about early experiences watching Ranma and kind of the transcoding of that. Um, My point of entry, I feel like, was maybe a little different. I intensely identified with this other main character who was, there was an arranged marriage. And so this is a girl who is kind of picked to be Ranma's fiance. And there's this whole like enemies to lovers thing. And I shipped it intensely, but I'm like, well, I'm like very identified and very invested in this girl who is, you know, and it's it's not her choice. She's just in this situation. She's been placed in this arranged marriage to somebody who is uh, at times a guy and at times a girl. <laughs> so, um, you know, with that as my, um, you know, just my positioning, I guess, within that universe, um, it makes a lot of sense to me. So... Yeah, for sure. I feel like as you're saying that, I'm like, yes, tick, tick, tick. That all makes complete sense. Also, we love when a, um, I kind of feel like there's similar energy to stuff like Mulan, where there's a put- opportunity for people across the queer spectrum to identify with different aspects of these characters, because they really are giving you all sorts of different options for like, hey, you want to be this person? You want to love this person? You want to be be intrigued by this person? We got it all here in, the <laughs> in this one show. My favorite Disney movie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. How about your next Your next uh, on the list? What, what else have you bought us today? Um, oh my gosh. I have a whole list of things, but I'm sort of like, I'm going to try to be a little bit 
you're prioritizing. There was um, Bend It Like Becca. <laughs> oh, yes. A classic. A classic. Okay. So for anyone who for some reason has never seen this movie, um, essentially it's it's so gay and yet isn't gay at all. It's, it's one of those movies that you look back at and you are just screaming. Like, how did this not, how is this not? Uh, something that was canonical um it's one of Kira Knightley's early films and essentially a girl from a uh, an Indian British Indian family is kind of secretly gets into football and is playing football and so it's this the secrecy from her family it's about football but there is this kind of weird subtext that isn't ever quite made explicit that there's also a lot of secrecy around her being friends with this girl Jules aka Kira Knightley who's also playing football with her and there is for some reason, because obviously they're gay, um, except I guess they're not because they never technically get together. And in fact, there is a love triangle with their coach. It is it is like a fascinating example because so many queer women seem to identify in some way with it or have, have felt some kind of way about it. So what was your entry into it? Were you watching it kind of when it came out or is it something you discovered later on? I think I watched it around when it came out and um, and I loved it and it was just one of those things that I watched many times just because I love the story and the characters, I guess, like, and, um, you know, and I did not consciously feel or notice the queerness of it, or I guess it was queerness in a way that like absolutely made perfect sense to me as somebody who was like in the throes of combat and would be for a very long time, even afterwards, like, because you know, you have all this, you know, just very blatant, like flirtatious energy between these two friends, you know, and there are all these moments where it's just, you know, based on kind of the cues that, you know, we are used to from media, you would expect them to um, at least make out a little bit. Just a little little making out, just a little as a treat. And there's also, I guess, this energy of, you know, them being mistaken for a couple. Like there's a scene where Jules gets mistaken for a boy. And so they think that she's been, you know, hugging a boy in the middle of a street. And it's like, oh, it's okay. It's just your friend who's a girl. Like all of these little bits where all they would have to do to make it queer was just, we can keep obviously this little love triangle with the coach but they should also just have like a little little more of a thing so we can have this delicious bisexual triangle going on would be chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah. no, it's like, it's all right there. Like you barely even have to connect the dots, but it's it's so strange to like look back and realize how, you know, and this is like my, you know, late, I, I'm not sure when exactly it came out, late 90s or something. Like, I, yeah, I think like late 90s, early 2000s, kind of. Right. Which is like, that was me um, as a teenager, basically. And I was very drawn to that flirtatious energy. Like, that definitely resonated. And then it made sense to me that, like, oh, no, but the real explanation is everybody's straight, right? Like, you know, we're like um, me, just like me. <laughs> exactly like me yeah (laughs) um so I liked it my headcanon is that like those two both of them I'm talking about like both of these main characters 100% age 37 in an essay on medium one day are having you know realizations and um but I think they also they like they find each other again they're married now I think they're married now I don't know what happened to the coach he's around he's he's happy he's fine he's he's just vibing (laughs) 
he's playing sports. So what's what has been kind of interesting is um, that we have seen after the fact with this movie particularly and I'd be really interested to see I, I would love if some journalists could go and like talk to all of these actors who are in all of these movies that people in hindsight have been like that was pretty gay I mean like what did you think about it because I know Kira Knightley in an interview has been like oh yeah like make them gay like make them queer have them be bi like that was very much the energy that she's given in in like articles afterwards like if it ever got rebooted everyone if anyone ever did a remake like make it a messy bisexual situation uh and it would just simply make it better you know it would only it would only serve to improve I love that and I think as well like it's interesting I mean like did you have a sense at the time of like there is something here there is some kind of like within things you were watching at the time like there's a queer energy to these or there's something that feels or where was it like I'm only really understanding this energy once I've understood my own queerness and then it's suddenly becoming a little bit more obvious to me I I don't know that I fully understood it. It was kind of this weird uh, dichotomy where I, I was engaging with some more overtly queer media kind of around the same time. Like so I, uh, you know, I watched But I'm a Cheerleader as a teenager and I was like, oh, this is a great movie. When I watched it again as an adult, I was like, I'm obsessed with this movie. But, um, <laughs> but at the time, like there, you know, knowing going in and understanding this is like you know a queer movie this you know is a uh lesbian character you know like they're um like i i watched it as an ally i guess you know and um you know and the same was true certainly for um like on dawson's creek jack i think that character's name was who i want to say that was the first gay kiss between like two men on primetime maybe there's some kind of first that it's associated with love that as an ally you know rent you know and there are a couple of other things like that but then I would get very deeply invested and obsessed with these properties that were in retrospect very very queer but had this kind of element of plausible deniability or it's just like almost like you know I was just engaging with them without trying to kind of position myself in relation to them with this kind of distance I guess I just love that you're saying all that and you mentioned rent and just the energy of you bisexual Becky being like I guess I'm Mark from rent I guess I'm the ally (laughs) on the outside making a film about this community and then fast forward however many years later it's like uh -uh, oh oh actually mm-hmm. <laughs> scratch that <laughs> oh totally yeah I yeah that was yeah I was like oh yeah I am yeah I thought I was smart I mean like I feel like also that is kind of an experience that a lot of queer people go through we we have a lot of the um I feel like we have some representation which is always a little bit iffy of like people who were aggressively homophobic before they realized they were queer or people who realized they were queer young and sort of like tried to stay under the radar and didn't engage at all but I do think there is this large contingent of us who are like yeah like within the ally space who are really just just wanting to support just wanting to be like oh if you if you guys need any help like we'll be here um so like for me even though I I did come out when I was pretty young when I was like 15 ish 
I had prior to that been very like I got really into the idea that we should be allowed to have our like class charity like we got to choose a charity that our class at school would support and I I think it was Stonewall that I was like I feel like we should support Stonewall and there was like a little bit of umming and erring and backlash from my teachers and I got like very indignant there's like loads of things I got very like righteous indignation about which like was for other people and then I and then because I had been it's in support I was like labeled as a lesbian in school so I was being like bullied for being a thing that I hadn't quite figured out I was yet but then was also like there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian so this bullying is just mildly frustrating just because it could like people who are actually lesbians could overhear this and like know that people were like trying to use it as, as like a, a thing to be bullied about and like you know using these slurs in front of other, like that was what I was getting frustrated about and then like fast forward a couple of years and I was like oh god the bullies were right <laughs> they they oh had me god. pegged this entire time I was the slow one truly <laughs> that is so funny to me I mean that's literally exactly my thought process but this is like it, I'm a grown ass woman in my 30s at the time you know where I um I you know I very suddenly around like <laughs> like 2018 2019 or something I became very aware that it might be uncomfortable for closeted authors to be asked directly about their sexuality. So in solidarity with those closeted authors that I figured were probably out there feeling this, I decided to stop answering those questions. And I had a whole thing that I would say, like a whole explanation for, you know, and I I practice saying it in a way that would not shame anybody for asking or shut them down because like 99% of the time it like it wasn't typically a um a question that was asked with hostility it was just usually like a kid who's like I want to know if you and I have this in common you know um sometimes it was asked with hostility but I'd be like oh you know okay I definitely understand where this question's coming from and kind of why people would want to know that given what I write about so makes a lot of sense. I recently have decided I want to move away from directly answering that because I think when I look at the big picture, you know, so it was like this whole thing, like that's a whole lot of effort to like, you know, when I could have just been like, Becky, like you're bye. Like, that's you. Like, you're the one. You're the, you're the you're the one that you're doing this for. The call is coming from inside the house, Becky. Oh my God. I was such a good ally to those. <laughs> oh God. Uh, That's so funny. I, I'm such a good ally to myself. Self-love is important, mm -hmm. Becky. You know, that's, that's, you got to stick up for yourself, I guess. <laughs> In my own way. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. At this point in the podcast, I just want to say, if you are enjoying what you are listening to, uh, and you're like, hey, I wish that there were more podcasts that I could listen to. I want to spend more of my time listening to fun people talk about fun things. Um, we would love to tell you about another show, which is part of the Multitude Collective. Specifically, today, I would love to talk to you about Pale Blue Pod. So this is an astronomy, not astrology, very different podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Uh, so astrophysicist Dr. Moya McTeer and comedian Corinne Caputo demystify space one topic at a time with open eyes, open arms and open mouths um, from talking, laughing and jaw dropping uh, in terms of the facts about the universe. By the end of each episode, the cosmos will feel a little bit less, ah, that's very scary, that it's so big, um, kind of like how I feel about the ocean. Uh, haven't 
I've stopped myself thinking about space too much because I feel like I'd have much the same reaction. Um, and instead you will be like, oh, cool, that's so fun. Love space. Uh, there are new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. So check it out. That is Pale Blue Pod. This is also the part of the show where we talk about our sponsors, so the people who keep us on the air. Uh, first of all, we want to say a massive thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting us. You quite literally keep us going. Um, and in exchange for keeping the pod ticking over week after week, uh, you get a bunch of perks as well. So if that is of interest, we'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes, uh, including exciting queer movie watch-alongs with an amazing community over on our Discord, where you can talk all about queer movies all the time and queer TV, we often do. Plus things like top 10 lists, recommendations, uh, queer stuff we found over the internet, uh, and also exclusive episodes as well. So yeah, go check it out. And this episode is also sponsored by Squarespace. You know them, you love them. They are the one-stop shop for everything building websites, uh, essentially. If you are somebody who wants to talk about a particular topic, make a website about it, you got it. If you have a thing that you're doing and you wanna tell people about it, you can. If you're an entrepreneur, you got a shop, you wanna sell things, uh, that's also a go. I've talked before on this podcast about the fact that I simply do not have any design skills whatsoever. It's embarrassing. I honestly, I, I'm ashamed to show you my Google Slides account. Don't, please don't look at it. Um, however, website wise, I'm, I'm covered. Because Squarespace has something called Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system. It is so easy to use website templates, but also within those templates, customize every single tiny design detail with drag and drop technology, which works for desktop and mobile. So it won't look trash on your phone, which uh, is my pet peeve about websites. It is built in and ready to go with any Squarespace website. Whenever I talk about Squarespace on this show, love to give you a little example. And I'm trying to think of one we haven't done before. You know what, if you're listening to this and going, Rowan, it's all very well talking about movies and TV shows, but I want to talk about queer games. That is what I'm interested in. Oh, buddy, you can do it. Maybe you want to make a blog all about the latest news, new releases, your old favorites of games that have a queer little uh, twist to them. Um, that is also something you can do on Squarespace. You can categorize, share, and schedule your posts anytime, anywhere to make your content work for you. Plus, maybe you are more design and artistically talented than me and you're like, hey, I actually love to sell uh, paintings inspired by queerness and games. Stay with me here. I That's called fan art row and I sort of forgot what the name of it was there for a second. Um, you very much can because Squarespace will also let you set up an online store where you can sell products, including physical, digital and service based products, meaning that you can start selling like right now. The tools are all built in. So check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com forward slash queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Back to Becky. So take, okay, take me to the next thing on your list. What's, what's another, another one you got to talk about? Okay. So here's like, this is one that was harder to explain away because this was, a movie that I absolutely got obsessed with and it was extremely overtly queer. And, you know, I think I want to say I watched it maybe as like a senior in high school or maybe the summer after or something like that. Um, and I definitely had like, you know, I think a DVD by then of it. Um, if these walls could talk part two. Uh, so I think part one was about like, there was like the original one, which was about um, abortion, I think it's been a minute I have seen it but it's been so long um, but then part two is about like it's three different stories about 
lesbian couples or lesbians in different time periods. And so there was like one that was like a mo- the last one was like a kind of modern day story, but modern day, like 90s, you know. And then the first one was I can't remember the time period for that, but it was like earlier, much earlier. And then but it was the second one, uh, the one in the middle. And I I watched so many times. <laughs> like, and this one is set. I think in like the 70s. Yeah, it's 72. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the gist of it is they said that you had like um, this, you know, like they were a bunch of college kids and it was this girl who um, she and her friends, I think were all lesbians and they're very uh, politically engaged. And the main girl was played by Michelle Williams and she had like wavy brown hair in that one. So I'm like, mm, that's okay. Like that's my self-insert line her up. But she, I, you know, at the time, um, absolutely no conscious awareness of this. And they like go to a bar and they end up meeting um, this girl who is like very butch. I think in the context of that film um, is a butch lesbian I think it's definitely clear there um kind of some gender questions I'm not sure uh if this character would um you know I I don't know kind of what gender this person would be in a modern or in a current framework necessarily but um yeah and and the actress was it Chloe um I'm gonna pronounce her last name wrong Chloe uh, Sidney. Yes, I also do not know how to pronounce her last name, but yes, I know the actress you are speaking of. Yes, okay. <laughs> and so she was like wearing a suit or something with like short, slick back hair, I think. And the Michelle Williams character, they start talking and they're like connecting, but then this group of friends are really, I mean, they're like kind of like turfs a little bit. They're very like rad femme kind of, and they're like, you know, like, she's too butch and she's like trying to be a man. And it was just, it was a very like, like you kind of still see, I mean, you certainly still see a variation of that playing out constantly now. So in that way, it was a bit ahead of its time. I feel like to have that conversation um, because the turfs were definitely not the good guys, which was really nice. It's a nice thing to see like in the nineties. And I think, I want to say like the head turf in this was uh, Natasha Leone, who is like a recurring character in all of these like formative queer stories too, who, you know, and to be very clear, that was her character. And I'm sure it was a stretch because she's an angel and I know she would absolutely never be a turf. But yeah, it was like, you know, that one was hard to write off as like, oh yeah, but it's a straight show with this like intangible queer energy that I'm not like recognizing till later. Like this is very much a queer movie. Like there's, I don't even know how I found it. Like there's no reason for a straight girl to have found it. Why did I have it? I don't know. Like who would have referred to me? It was like the internet. Like, like I'm like, I didn't have social media, you know, but (laughs) yeah, but I just found it. And as a, wonderful ally I watched it over and over again especially the second one because I guess I felt like that story from the 70s particularly needed my allyship uh, <laughs> so I th- I mean I think that this like what's so interesting is that that, that like so so if these walls could talk to is from 2000 and it's so interesting that it's that we have 
some representation back in a time when I think a lot of people would were kind of like this is the very beginnings of having this representation that was like not one not two but three different stories and that also were having like not just conversations around issues outside of the community like homophobia towards the lesbians but it was also like these discussions of identity and of gender and of you know self-expression and things like that even within the community and so I think especially with that it's like love how you were trying to justify your allyship through this like "Mm, I will I will be an ally by by watching and enjoying this these very specific stories about the intra-community conversations uh for lesbians 10 out of 10 beautiful self-awareness love to see it yeah I mean like that was also like an like I'm looking at the the cast list thinking about it like Vanessa Redgrave was in that like Ellen was in that Sharon Stone was in like that it was like a properly star-studded cast energy going on there but I I I think that it's very I would say understandable for you to pick up on the um teen to college age storyline around people with various gender identities for for the time that you were in it sounds like I mean yeah I'm sure that I had some narrative that I I, this I don't actually remember what was in my head but I'm guessing it was like oh, this is actually really important to understand this as I am preparing for college. Mm, Very important. So important. (laughs) My favorite word of like people people who see any like book about queer stuff and they're like, what? An important book. Very, what an important movie to, for us to be watching, which is a nice way of like not having to say if the book is good or bad or not. Um, They're just like very important. (laughs) So important. Love that. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And I guess in a way, like it is a way of having to avoid explaining or even understanding like why I was drawn to it, because Mm. if it was important, then like that is self-explanatory. You know, I, it's important to do important things and it's important to engage with important media so obviously that's like why (laughs) why would you even ask such a question it's just it's just so important I mean like how how long was it again like it sounds like it was it was like gonna be another big gap between you having this sort of obsession about this movie and then coming to the realization of like why exactly that had happened is there anything are there any pieces of media that have kind of come about subsequently like since you've kind of understood this part of your identity that you've been like yes actually and I'm feeling this connection or there is something about this that's working for me or is a lot of it more that you had you've now had all of this like understanding and hindsight that's come about you know I mean most of it is either hindsight or it was like directly you know just all working in tandem to like batter me over the head and make me like finally figure it out you know because you know, I figured things out like pretty recently, really. And so, um, you know, there hasn't been a ton of, I mean, certainly like visual media and, uh, you know, there's been some and I have fallen hard for various shows and, um, you know, like it was, it was really wild watching like Love Victor, even after I figured that out because, um, you know, there are some aspects of Victor's, and to be clear, I didn't write that at all. I had absolutely nothing to, I had way less to do with it than I wanted to. I tried very hard to be involved, but, um, but I loved it and it, it resonated. Um, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing to kind of start 
you know, rolling that ball, like you could say, I'm writing Simon versus right a decade ago, you know, and then we end up at this point in 2020 where, you know, a spinoff of the movie of the like, you know, the book that I wrote is a part of kind of my own experience figuring things out and sorting through that. I know it takes a lot sometimes to break through denial, but like I really, really had to set up an entire world of uh, <laughs> like I, the way I like managed to situate myself in this position where it was like, whether I liked it or not, I was going to have to like figure it out. You know, it was mm-hmm. like being strapped, strapped to a chair and with my eyes held open finally. And like, a sign, you know, with like big letters, it's like, you, Becky, like, you are bi, like, that is you, you know? (laughs) I, it's really funny, I was watching the new Nimona adaptation, which is an adaptation of like a webcomic that was then like a graphic novel, and it's, I was saying to my friend, sort of in that like joking affectionate way that you can within, within like people, you know, like, wow, I feel very embarrassed for ND for like not realizing he was trans before like you really wrote this and you took you that long to figure <laughs> to figure out you were trans because it's just so like perfectly encapsulating of an experience of someone who is trans like that was it was so obvious when you watch it that this is what's going on on screen and I think that this is something that it sounds like potentially there was a similar element of the experience for you where you're like writing this thing which has become so like the book has become so beloved and so influential before you even were like fully consciously knowing the big flashing sign saying Becky is bisexual. Like, how is that for you trying to, like when you look back at it, are you like, oh, I was putting in elements that I didn't necessarily realize were elements of myself within there or were you still completely unaware, zero (laughs) zero brain energy going in, in terms of your like, underlying identity stuff while while you were writing yeah I mean particularly with Simon I didn't know but then there were times like you know and this has always been a part of my writing process where like you know just I am in the zone or they feels like the characters are taking the wheel for a minute like I when I wrote Simon I mean I distinctly remember just breaking down and sobbing like after I wrote the part you know where he's like I get to decide who, you know, like you took that from me. And I was like crying my little eyes out. And then I was like, I am such a writer, you know, like I just, (laughs) oh my God, my imagination is just so good. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. Incredible. It's so embarrassing to go back and read it now and see like, just, I mean, neon sign after neon sign. It was like, you know, just like, why is she the default? And like, you know, oh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, coming out isn't something that straight kids worry about. I wrote that thinking that I was a straight kid writing a whole book about coming out. Like, like what was it? Like, <laughs> how did I come out of that book? Like, still feeling like I was such an ally. But like, mm. there was also this, like, because this was, you know, going to be published. And I felt particularly at the beginning that I felt like I needed to disclose my positionality like I had to be like I'm going to be very clear and let people know that I am a straight woman writing this so nobody goes in expecting a kind of authenticity that like I can't 
deliver. I don't know. I just like, I felt like that was something I owed people. And so that turned it into a real, you know, the rigidity that that introduced mm-hmm. for me. But um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was really hard to um, kind of break out of that. And then it got more complicated too with, you know, most people's introduction to Simon was not the book, which came out in 2015. It's the movie. And so you end up where there are a lot of people too, who, and, and sometimes this is for um, kind of pulling together pieces of the movie to show how clearly straight I am. Um, So that was like, my straightness was always mentioned, for example, alongside, I mean, I don't want to spoil the movie, but like, there's a difference you know, the book doesn't have, for example, everything that happens around the, the Ferris wheel. That's a very different moment in the book. And so there would be a lot of people who kind of would be discussing, you know, just talking about kind of the way the Ferris wheel scene is framed and kind of how many people are a part of it. And, you know, and, um, you know, just some of the dynamics, pressure kind of put on a different character, all really interesting discussions and really valid, but it got really complicated for me when almost inevitably people would be like, well, yeah, and that's why it's a problem that this is written by a straight woman. You can see how a straight woman would write a scene like that. And it's like, what can I say? You know, like the book is, isn't the same scene, but I don't know kind of what vibes I was injecting the entire story with, you know? It's a, uh, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, we've done an episode about the movie about Love, Simon on the show. And I had the absolute just pleasure of watching it for the first time with Jazza, um, my co-host who sobbed so hard. It was very funny for me and very embarrassing for Jazza because we watched it in this big cinema and they were crying so much that um, they had to put their coat over their heads so that they could stifle the sound because they just kept Mm -hmm. crying even though the scene was done. We'd moved on to another scene that wasn't appropriate to cry in and he was just fully still sobbing. And we were ju- I was just like gently smothering Jazza underneath the coat to be like, shush, shush now, we deal with your emotions later. Um, <laughs> but, but like I, so I used to work at Penguin, which is the in the UK, the publisher of Simon. Like back in the day, we, we when I was hosting the Queer Book Club, it was part of the book club. And like, I like I love the book. So for however much I have criticisms of the movie, the book, Chef's Kiss, and I think that those differences were one of the things that was, so like evident to me go like the differences between the two as someone who had been a fan of the book and I think that like for you it was such a it seemed from the outside to be such a like a difficult time where you were having these people having conversations around your identity that you had were also it sounds like discovering stuff about your identity and like figuring that stuff out it wasn't necessarily a case of like you'd always known and never said anything about your identity it was almost like this awkward double-edged sword of you kind of tried to be honest in the beginning and then in order to be honest you had to wade back into this whole mess to be like hey guys by the way change of circumstances we figured some stuff out how has that been for you now like do you feel like it's you've been you've been through that period now you feel like you're on the other side or is there still like an element of it kind of affecting you now either like as a writer or just like as a as Becky? Um, I mean, it definitely has gotten better for sure. You know, um, it, 
affects me a ton. Um, you know, and it's interesting, like my feelings about Love, Simon, like I personally love Love, Simon as a fan, but I, I didn't write it. And um, so when people critique the movie, it doesn't feel like it, it would feel if I was tagged in a bad review or something, you know, like it's separate from me, you know, I mean, the exception to that being if people critique the movie and then pin it to their perception of my identity, like mm -hmm. that's, that's the only time the, the movie really kind of traps me, I guess. And, and that happens a lot. It still happens a lot. You think I, I just, I finally figured out that there will always be um, new people who uh, are entering the discourse with a 2018 We'll say understanding of kind of my positionality and kind of boldly laying claims and making arguments based on that, which to be very clear, I do not think people need to feel any kind of obligation to keep up with any kinds of updates in a given creator's identity. However, I think you do have that responsibility if you are about to publicly discuss that person's identity, like get it right. If you're going to do it, you know, that's mm -hmm. it. but yeah. Um, yeah. And also don't do it too, because you aren't going to always get it right because queerness is not always public and it's definitely not static. It's hard, you know, like I realize, you know, right now I am kind of living this dual role of being a huge fan of both Heartstopper and Red, White and Royal Blue. Like, two of my absolute favorite pieces of media, both of which, you know, have big things coming in a month or so, right? And I am simultaneously as hyped as you would expect for a fan, but I'm also like bracing myself because I know every single time a piece of queer media drops without fail, it's either people who are, and they will just, absolutely shamelessly misgender creators and mislabeled creators while they do so but they'll be like you know oh it's this stuff is all written by straight women like no actually literally none of the properties you're talking about are written by straight women you know and um if i hear the next person i hear saying red white and royal blue is written by straight women i swear to god like I, you know but um they'll always be like just like love simon which was written by a different straight woman it's like no and like let it go. It came out a long time ago and it was not written by straight woman anyway. Like, just let it go. You don't have to like bring up Love, Simon in that context every time. Bring it up if you want to like compare plot beats or like the movies themselves, you know, but it's always brought up in an identity context. Either that or will be like, you know, Heartstopper, one that comes up a lot is like, finally, proper representation. This is like why we need queer creators. Compare this to Love, Simon, and you can really see the difference between when you have a queer creator and a straight creator. And when I say that discourse happens, I mean, that is the prevailing discourse, as far as I can tell. Like, that is absolutely, because, you know, these people are not fans of mine, you know, they're not reading my books. They probably haven't even read Simon. Um, and if they have, they... Like, they don't know that I just straight up released a whole book talking about, like, my experiences, figuring out my own, idea, you know, like, and I've been on a press store about that. Like, that is not gonna go anywhere near as wide as TV or movie news. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's just like, I'm like, am I gonna, the rest of my life, am I gonna have this bittersweetness around every piece of 
queer media that gets released, things that I passionately love. Luckily, so far, I've been able to like fall back, like I've been able to let that go while engaging with the media itself. But the um, conversations around any queer media are so hard for me because I just get called a straight woman over and over and over again. And it's that particularly harmful framing of it, too, where it is like, here's how you can tell this Mm. is a straight woman. And it just like to me, that is just about the hardest part of this entire self-discovery process is just the just the you can tell, you know, Mm. which you can't <laughs> uh you can. in, in in any context like they couldn't tell your identity you can't tell anything about your identity from the thing you produce either i mean i think that it's it there is this sometimes a tendency to have this mentality of like scarcity where it's like well we we're so used to having like almost nothing the idea of like we own if we only have five seats at the table we've got to keep swapping it out for the the best five things we're not allowed to just have this uh, like wide spectrum of experience and of different shows and movies that don't have to be directly compared to each other in order to like justify their existence and that you can still have queer movies that people disagree on like I like w- literally just I think last episode from this was uh, an episode on the podcast about Imagine Me and You which is a uh, very very iconic British like queer rom-com that me and Jazza could not have had more different reactions to and like I'm aware of the fact that it doesn't like whether or not I enjoyed that movie doesn't make a difference to like the impact it has on other people, the importance it has and being someone who can say, um, actually this scene and this scene and this wasn't right and I didn't like this, like that's an objective thing. That doesn't have any basis in terms of the identities of people who may or may not have worked on it or the value that it has for some people and some audiences who are, I mean, the amount of young people when like, love simon as the movie came out who were extremely positively affected by it and were and like really it meant a lot to them can't be erased by people now deciding oh actually this other thing gets to take simon's seat at the table because there's there can only be one at any one time like that feels like it's a lot of kind of more damage than it's worth and like what 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 I would love to see is if in 20 years someone made a, a version of this kind of episode that people would have so much to talk about that it would be overwhelming like there was this overflow of representation rather than being like and here was the one thing I managed to find as a child that I could relate to <laughs> um like that feels like where we want to go rather than yeah just slicing things further and further down into being a very particular kind of experience or representation I completely agree and I would even say too like just you know, when it comes to um, discussion and critique of media, it's like different people have different ways we like to engage with media, you know, but like, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I think it's just, I wish just collectively, we as consumers, of the various types of queer media that are out there would be more intentional about, I guess, like, detaching those discussions to the best of our abilities from our perceptions of the creators. Like to me, that's, that's the line for me. Like, I think it's just like, you can, I actually like, I do not care if people pick apart love Simon. I do care if they pick apart Simon verses in the sense that I don't want to be tagged in it, 
and I don't go to Goodreads, but I fully support like by all means, like pick that book apart, pick all of my books apart, pick every book apart, you know, it just gets to be tricky. Like, you know, it's like almost like we like give yourself permission to just dislike something, whether that's a piece of media or an element that's within it, you know, rather than to try to find a moral reason to like justify not liking it like what a great reason to not like it the creator's straight therefore i am a pure consumer of media and it's like it doesn't work like that not how that works yeah Um, i can't believe that it's we're we've done like an hour recording already but i would love because i know that you were like i have so many things i could discuss if there were any ones that we didn't get to talk about um that you would like to just give a little honorable mention to feel very free yeah okay wait i want to like read my little list that i made of notes and things that i felt like i could talk about and i'm not going to go into any of them except for maybe one which i think the last one on my list i think is like a pretty important like you know dot on the line perfect okay so here are some things that like i feel like in retrospect either they are queer media or i engage with something queer about them um uh, so I was a big reader of Tamara Pierce books and in retrospect had a crush on Alana for sure. <laughs> Classic. Yes. Love it. <laughs> um, the Babysitter's Club, which I think is extremely queer in retrospect. Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is overtly queer. You know, the movie Now and Then, which I have like since read stuff to find that that's like kind of supposed to be queer and they kind of pulled back a little bit. Music wise, I was a big fan of the Indigo Girl, like obsessive fan of the Indigo Girls. I was a big fan of Tracy Chapman, uh, Brandy Carlisle. I have seen, I guess I've seen Brandy and the Indigo Girls in concert I, uh, <laughs> over the years. Like moving into my college years and like 20s and stuff, like, um, I mean, I was very much into Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I got really into the movie Word the World Mine, which like, I feel like I'm always underappreciated yeah. nonsense movie that is that is that I, I feel like it really cemented the idea of like Shakespeare retellings within movies is just inherently queer um, and that one's like top of the top of the list oh a hundred percent yes yes I like yeah I love it I've seen it like a bazillion times um Spring Awakening I was like majorly involved I'm like it's such a like millennial thing too to be obsessed with but I was mm-hmm. like you know, taking the train from, I was living in DC at the time up to New York and getting those like cheap tickets on the stage and like, every, yeah, everything. Um, but the one that I um, wanted to maybe underline a little bit for me that was like really nudged me a couple of inches closer to figuring stuff out, um, Orange is the New Black. Um, I started, I guess, watching it like right around when it came out. So that would have been, I don't know, like, the 20 teens at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was already a public figure at that point, I remember, but I absolutely developed a like massive crush on uh, Pusey, Samira Wiley's character. Openly talked about it, openly tweeted about it. I'd be like, yeah, isn't it so funny? Like how big of a crush I have on this character when I'm straight? Like, that is so funny. Like, <laughs> I like openly discussing this, talked about it, all the time, you know, and like, you know, it, and it didn't click. And it was to the point where like, you know, when I 
was, I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say when I was spoiled by kind of some plot information in a later season about Pusey, you know, it affected immediately whether or not I continued watching the show, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, um, like, it was like, in it for Samir Wiley. Mm-hmm. That's it. A hundred percent. Like, um, as a straight girl, as an ally, you know, but yeah. like, that, it's, that it's was... really, and it's, it's actually <laughs> the mark of a true ally to have a crush on a girl. Um, that's really the, that's where you get gold star allyhood is when you are having romantic sexual or emotional feelings towards another woman that's really where it's like yep such a good ally that's where it's at yeah I mean I wasn't gonna do it halfway you know I know that like (laughs) ally it's a verb it's a verb you gotta you gotta do allyship and doing allyship means having a crush on a girl yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I love that I mean like I I hilariously right now have a picture of her on my wall because there's a I'm doing Stop. a video <laughs> so I was literally was saying that I was like yeah I see her that's understandable she's right on my wall oh my gosh I I'm sure that. I would have been like doing a video doing a research <laughs> oh yeah that's me being like... yeah yeah I was definitely doing a video that's why I have this mm-hmm. big picture of her on my wall no I mean that that is completely understandable and I feel like that show was so interesting because it took a kind of middle class white woman and could have just been this very like othering story of she goes to jail and it's all about how how does she cope in this world with all of these people who are so different to her and then they were like cool right actually she's bisexual um everyone else is queer there's black people latino people like this is actually going to be about sort of systemic racism and classism and sexism and these issues within the within the prison system and I, I, I appreciate shows that sort of like Trojan horse in the sort yeah, of totally, com- yeah. more complex <laughs> storylines of diversity. Um, and I also think that there are a bunch of people who saw that spoiler about Pusey and uh, decided to affect whether they continued watching the show as well. That feels like a pretty universal experience because she was fantastic in it. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining. What a absolutely jam-packed chat we had that was so these were all like very very good examples and I feel like I could have talked to you for like an hour about every single one on your list because 10 out of 10 beautiful beautiful options that you bought today thank you so much thank you yeah I am um, so validated honestly my allyship my um Mm -hmm. just yeah my media input um I feel big ally stamp for you yeah you're like you know what you you are you're an ally for the straights now um you that can be your new role they really need it they're having a a real tough time um the queers have basically got everything sorted now so I feel like you've got so much experience in allyship you can just you can do it for the straights yeah no I've I've noticed that you've been very oppressed lately (laughs) Uh, (laughs) they need more characters written about them that's truly what they need thank you so much for joining um for everyone who's listening if they want to find more of your stuff find you around the internet or or your books where should they be looking um so i would say um the thing i keep most up to date is my instagram which is just becky albertalli um so it's just my name one word i run my own instagram i do have like an updates account on Twitter for now, well, twi- if Twitter still exists by the time this airs, um, but that is uh, run by my assistant. Um, and then I have a website, um, beckyalbertelli.com. 
But um, I would say Instagram, if if you can swing it, is kind of my go-to. Cent- yeah, that's like news central for me, probably. Amazing. That is it for another episode of the Queer Movie Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next episode wherever you are are listening. Uh, And if you really like what you hear, consider supporting us over on Patreon, where we have some very fun perks on offer, uh, monthly queer movie watch-alongs, for example, on our Discord, top 10 lists, newsletters, etc, etc. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter if it continues to exist for behind-the-scenes content uh, as and when we remember to do it. And that's it. That's the end. Farewell. Bye.